0: Well, good evening to each one of you, and it's good to be back again in Princess Town. And I, before I get into the message for this evening, I just want to offer a praise to the Lord for making sure that I'm here this evening. As I recall, we've been praying every night for my safe travel back and forth, and the last couple of nights, my car felt like it was starting to stall every so often as I was driving down the highway and so I took it in today to have it looked at and as it turned out the ignition coil had a problem and it took a better part of the day to get it fixed and there was a certain point where I was starting to wonder if the car would get fixed in time in order for me to get down here tonight and I know that the devil is not happy with what's happening here this week, and he's trying to block what's happening, but the good Lord has made sure that my car has made it back and forth every night, and he helped the mechanic today to figure out what the problem was, and the mechanic happens to be a church member up at the El Sikora Church, and he told me to be sure and let you know that I had a testimony to share tonight about how the Lord made sure that I could be here again this evening. So I'm very thankful to be here again, and I know that the Lord has something really good in store for us again tonight. Amen? Before we start for this evening, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and for your goodness in bringing us here to this meeting again tonight and for your presence that's been with us throughout this week. And I just ask that the Holy Spirit come into this room again tonight, that you would speak through me. May I be lost sight of, and may the message be lifted up, and may we have a clearer understanding of the solemnity of the time in which we are living in. And may Jesus speak through me. This is my prayer, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, let me just review briefly what we've seen so far this week when we did the overview of daniel on sunday night we saw that there are four main visions and there are four main kingdoms in those visions although babylon is missing from the last two and at the end of the kingdoms you have a significant event at the end of the first vision and the last vision you have the second coming and the close of probation And in the middle two visions, you have the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary beginning, which is 1844, which shows us that Daniel is taking us down to 1844 to the second coming, which is the time that we are living in. So therefore, the message in Daniel is very important. Then on Monday night, we looked at the big picture of Revelation. We saw the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, and we saw that each at each of the end of the sevens that there is a special revelation of what God's people are like and what their purpose is just before Jesus comes. And we saw that it is the second advent movement that God has raised up just before he comes to prepare a people to be ready. Last night we looked at the history of the second advent movement and of the power that attended it in the 1840s and how that movement will be repeated through God's last day people just before Jesus comes. So that's in a nutshell what we've seen so far. What we are going to do tonight is we are going to shift gears slightly because the focus so far from everything that I've talked about has been on the message for our time and the people that God has raised up to finish his work. But I wanted to spend one presentation showing that Satan is working very hard at this time of earth's history as well. And we need to be aware of what Satan is doing so that we will not be deceived and so that we can warn others of Satan's deception. Does that make sense? So I'm going to take you to Revelation chapter 13 and 17 tonight. And as you're going to see... These two chapters are closely connected to each other. And we read the first three verses for our scripture reading of Revelation chapter 13. Now I'm going to read verse 1 again. Here we read Revelation 13:1, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now this sounds pretty bad already, right? Now notice, this beast comes up out of the sea. Now, when you jump over to Revelation chapter 17, in Revelation chapter 17 verse 15, we see that waters, or the sea, represents... Peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So, what that tells us is you have a beast coming up out of a populated area. Now, what does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? How do you know what a beast represents in Bible prophecy? Well, if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, which we've looked at briefly, in Daniel chapter 7, Verse 17, it tells us that beasts represent kings or kingdoms. And so what you have here in Revelation 13 is a kingdom coming up out of a populated area. It has seven heads, ten horns, and upon it has the name of blasphemy. Now, in the next verse, we get a better idea of who this beast is. Verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, what three beasts or animals do you see in this beast that is described in verse 2? You have a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Do you remember seeing these three beasts somewhere else? Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, remember there's four beasts. There's a lion, there's a bear, there's a leopard, and then there's a dreadful beast. Do you remember that? Daniel chapter 7. And as you recall from our overview of the book of Daniel, the lion represented Babylon... The bear represented Medo-Persia. The leopard represented Greece. And the dreadful beast represented Pagan Rome. And then a little horn came up out of that dreadful beast that represented Papal Rome. Now what's interesting in Revelation 13 is, is that the beast here is a composite beast of those animals that you saw in Daniel chapter 7. So... The beast of Revelation 13 is a composite of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now, when you go on down, in verse 5, it says, "...and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months." Now, in verse 5, what was given to this beast? A mouth. And in verse 2, what part of the beast was the mouth? It was a lion's mouth. Now, what does the lion represent in Daniel 7? Babylon. So what we can see say about this beast of Revelation 13 is that this beast speaks with the mouth of Babylon. The mouth of the lion or the mouth of Babylon. Now here's what we have. It's a beast that has seven heads and ten horns. And it has the name of blasphemy. And it's a composite beast. Now when you come to Revelation chapter 17, This is how you see Revelation 13 and 17 lined up together. In Revelation 17, verse 3, it says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of what? Blasphemy. You see that in Revelation 13? And notice this, having seven heads and ten horns. So remember, the beast of Revelation 13 has seven heads and ten horns and is speaking blasphemy. Here in Revelation 17, you see a woman sitting on a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. And then this beast is named in verse 5 of Revelation 17 where it says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I guess I should be um, more explicit here. In Revelation 17 you have a woman sitting on a beast and the name of the woman here is the name of Babylon. But you're going to see that the woman and the beast are one and the same. The bottom line is this. In Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation 17, this beast that has seven heads and ten horns that is speaking blasphemy is the power known as Babylon. And specifically, we get a better idea of who Babylon really is when we look at Revelation 13 and 17 more carefully. Because when we study the book of Daniel, we find that that in the visions yes Babylon was represented by the head of gold in chapter 2 and the lion in chapter 7 and then it's not mentioned in chapter 8 in the vision there or in chapter 11 but in Daniel 2 and in Daniel 7 Babylon passes off the scene so why do we see Babylon again mentioned at the end of time well here's why even though ancient Babylon fell the characteristics of Babylon and the kingdoms that came after it are combined into one power at the end of time, which is why this beast is partly like a leopard. So it has partly the characteristics of Greece, and it's partly like a bear so it has some characteristics of Medo-Persia, and it has the mouth of a lion, so it has characteristics of Babylon, and then in verse 5 we see that power was given to him to continue forty and two months, and that parallels with Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, where we see this little horn power, which was after the fourth beast, which was the dreadful beast of Rome, then you have the little horn of papal Rome. So Daniel seven twenty-five. It says, "He shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time." Now, as I mentioned the other night time times and the dividing of time represents the 1260 years of bible prophecy from 538 to 1798 when papal rome was in power now here's what's interesting in revelation 13 5 it describes a time period as 42 months did you realize that's the the very same length of time as the time times and dividing of time The time times and the dividing of time describes three and a half prophetic years, which is 1260 literal days, which is 1260 years in prophecy. 42 months, if you go 42 times 30, that is also 1260. So here you have the same power, and this power that ruled as Babylon for 42 months in the book of Revelation is actually the power of papal Rome. This power came up, as we saw in verse 1, out of the sea, out of a populated area, and he is a composite beast of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome. Now, what were the characteristics of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome? Well, if you recall, Babylon had the spirit where Nebuchadnezzar said, is this not great Babylon that I have built? And then he says... God may have said that he's going to have an, an image where one kingdom follows the other. Gold, silver, brass, and iron. I'm going to build an image all of gold. I'm not going to follow what God's word says. I'm going to do it my own way. And then in Daniel 5 Belshazzar throws a feast just before Babylon falls and he takes the sacred vessels which have been taken from the temple in Jerusalem and he puts the wine the intoxicating wine into these sacred vessels so he puts profane wine into sacred vessels and then he has a worship service and that is what in time Babylon will do mixing the sacred with the common together declaring that which is sacred common and declaring that which is common sacred and saying we are worshiping God That's what Babylon does. And the end time Babylon will say, you know that seventh day, that's just a common day. Sunday, that's a holy day. And we're worshiping God the way we will worship Him. So that's what Babylon contributes to this composite beast. Medo-Persia, they were the kingdom that said when we write a law, it does not change. We are infallible. When we speak, we are never wrong. Does that sound familiar? And then Greece, they came along and they brought in humanism. Or in other words, they said, human beings are so smart that we can figure things out for ourselves and we don't really need God. If we can just create some crafty human tradition, we don't need to follow any higher power. And then Rome, pagan Rome, came along and said, let's persecute whoever doesn't agree with us. And following them came papal Rome who ruled for 42 months and they combined all those characteristics together saying, we're not going to follow what God's word says. We're going to worship God the way we want to. We'll change the day of worship. Daniel 7.25 says, he shall think to change times and laws. And then they say, not only that, when we make laws, we are infallible. When the Pope speaks ex cathedra, he is infallible. He is God on earth. And not only that, we are so smart, humanly speaking, that we can create human traditions that will be above the word of God. And not only that, if you don't agree with us, we will persecute you and put you to death. And that is why Revelation 13 describes the end-time Babylon as a composite beast of all of those kingdoms. And... If you wonder why the name of the end-time power is Babylon, remember the first kingdom was Babylon. And the first kingdom was in the head, right? The head of gold was Babylon. And as you know, as the Bible teaches, as a man thinketh, so is he. So the way Babylon thought as the head of gold has not changed. And so the end-time Babylon still thinks the way ancient Babylon did. Does that make sense? Now let's see what happens as we continue on here. Verse 3 says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded or slain to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now notice this. It says one of his heads was wounded or slain to death. After the 1260 years that papal Rome had supremacy papal Rome received a deadly wound now what happened at the end of the 1260 years well just to explain to you the 1260 years began in 538 when Justinian the emperor of Rome made a decree that made the pope that gave the Pope power over the civil authority. So the Pope could now tell the, the military and the, and the state powers how to, to operate. And that continued for 1260 years. But 1260 years later, in 1798, Napoleon sends his general Berthier into Rome and he takes Pope Pius VI captive. And Pius VI ended up dying in prison. And before he died, he pleaded with Napoleon and said, please, Napoleon, please let me go back to Rome and die in the holy city of Rome. And Napoleon said, you can die anywhere. You don't need to die in Rome. And at that point, when the Pope was taken captive, the power of the papacy over the state had been taken away. Yes, you still have the Vatican. Yes, they elected another pope after Pius VI was taken captive and died. But they no longer had power over the state. And so they received a deadly wound because as a church power, they no longer have power over the state. And that, is, that was a key development in Bible prophecy Now, before I go any further, let me just point out what the end of verse 2 says about this power of papal Rome. And this is quite startling because papal Rome is a professed Christian church. Notice what the end of verse 2 says. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, who is the dragon? In Revelation chapter 12, in verse 9, it says and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. So get this. Satan says, you know what? In order for me to deceive the whole world, I need to have a power that I'm going to work through. And you know what? I'm probably not going to be able to deceive the whole world anymore by being a... A non, an ungodly, unchristian representation. Because after Jesus died on the cross, all the world could see that God is love and I am not. So I've got to change my tactics here. I've got to work through a professedly Christian body and use them to deceive the world. Now, Satan's pretty crafty, you have to admit, right? And Satan says, you know what, in order for me to have effect on the world, I need to work through a professed religious body so I can deceive the whole world. And in Revelation 13, too, it says that Satan, or the dragon, gave his power, his seat, and authority to Babylon. And Babylon, as we saw, was papal Rome that ruled for the 1260 years, and then it received a deadly wound. But then notice, in verse 3 it says, "...and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast." Now get this. If all the world wonders after the beast, who are they really following? They're really following Satan. So yes, all the world will follow Babylon when its deadly wound is healed, but in reality they are following Satan. Now, the question is, when does this deadly wound become healed? And in order to answer that question, you have to look at what happened when it received the deadly wound. When it received the deadly wound, it lost its power over the state therefore when the deadly wound is healed papal rome will then have power over the state again to enforce religious laws just as it did during the 1260 years so what the bible is teaching us is, is that a time is coming that satan will work through papal rome so that its deadly wound that it received in 1798 will be healed so that papal Rome will be able to enforce religious laws upon political nations and that is yet future but if you've been paying any attention to the world around us you know that that is becoming more and more of a possibility when pope john paul ii died Every living U.S. president wanted to go to the funeral. Three of them went. I mean, the current president and two former U.S. presidents, and the other living one wanted to go also, but they didn't have enough room for him. And some of these presidents were so-called Protestants. So there's been a great change in how the world views papal Rome. We see that a time will come when all the world will wonder after the beast. Now let me show you how Revelation 17 is connected to Revelation 13. Revelation 17, verse 8, it says, The beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wander. Does that sound like what we just read in Revelation 13? They that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So Revelation 17 is describing a time in the future when those who dwell on the earth will wonder after this beast known as Babylon. And specifically, as you go through Revelation 13, and I'm just going to hit the high points here, we see what happens as to how papal Rome will gain power over the whole world. And in reality, Satan will be gaining power over the whole world. Skip on down to verse 11 of Revelation 13, and it says, And I beheld another beast. Now, what does a beast represent in the Bible? It represents a kingdom. So you have another beast coming up or another kingdom coming up. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. Now notice, this, where does this beast come up out of? Out of the earth. This is the second beast of Revelation. Where did the first beast come up out of? Out of the sea. This beast comes up out of the earth. So if the sea represents a populated area, where would the earth prophetically, what would that represent? It would be an unpopulated area. Now if you're paying careful attention to what's happening here, papal Rome, when did it receive the deadly wound? At the end of the 42 months in 1798. So when do you think the second beast came up out of the earth? Right around 1798. And, And it just so happens, if you understand American history, the Americans wrote the Declaration of Independence in 1776. But in 1798, in that very year, Western Europe recognized the United States as a sovereign nation. And so the United States becomes a kingdom prophetically in 1798. Right as papal Rome receives a deadly wound, the United States comes up out of the earth in an unpopulated area. Of course, it's not, that's not the case now. It's a very populated area there's some unpopulated regions but there are a lot of people in the United States now but it was a place designed by God where it has two horns like a lamb and if you study this out and Ellen White makes this very clear these two horns represented the civil and religious liberty that the United States offered that had been lacking in Western Europe during the 1260 years where you had to follow the power of the church if you were a citizen of the state. (laughs) The United States comes along in 1798 and says, you can believe whatever you want and you can be a loyal citizen of our country. You can be a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, whatever. You can be an American citizen. Civil and religious liberty. But we see that changes. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spake as a dragon. Now what does the dragon represent? Satan and Satan gave his power, seat, and authority to the first beast, Papal Rome, and now the United States of America is speaking like the first beast as well. Now, how does a nation speak? A nation speaks through the laws that it enacts, and so what this tells us is that there will come a time when the United States will enact laws that speak like the dragon and the way the dragon spoke was when he was in control of papal rome during the 1260 years they used their power from the church to control the state and satan will do the same thing through the united states of america And as you go on, verse 12 it says, he exercises all the power of the first beast, which is papal Rome before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So when the United States begins to enact laws and causes the world to worship the first beast, its deadly wound will be healed. And there's a number of other things that take place. But you see that in verse 15, he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed and then verse 16, he causeth all, both small and great rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads now let's speak briefly about the image to the beast and the mark of the beast when you think of an image what does an image represent? An image is a representation that depicts whatever it's describing. So for example, um, if you have a symbol of the nation, that would be an image of the nation that it's representing. The image to the beast, which is Papal Rome, is an image that reflects papal rome and papal rome was or is a power that works to unite church and state so the image to the beast is a union of church and state and then specifically there's the mark of the beast which is in direct contrast to the seal of god and the mark of the beast represents its mark of authority, showing that this mark is what shows how we are in power. Now, let me be clear. The mark of the beast is not some kind of a literal chip that you're going to get in your right hand or in your forehead. Some people think that you're going to get some kind of a chip in your hand or in your forehead, that kind of a thing. People get scared of things like national ID cards because of stuff like that. That's not what the mark of the beast is. The mark of the beast is simply put following along with the symbol of authority of papal Rome. And if you study it out, it is agreeing to worship on Sunday as the sign of authority of papal Rome. And the United States of America will enact laws forcing people to worship on Sunday. Now, the reason why some people receive this mark in their hand or in their forehead is because the people on their foreheads go along willingly saying, this is what I believe and this is what we should do and I'm going to do this. The people who receive the mark on their hands say, you know what, I know that the seventh day is really the Sabbath. And this whole Sunday thing, you know, I think I know that I heard somewhere in some prophecy seminar that there might be a Sunday law someday, but they're telling me that if I don't go along with this, I'm not going to be able to buy food. And I won't be able to sell anything. And I won't be able to make a living. And surely God understands. So I'm just going to go along with this. And I'll pray to the Lord that he'll help to turn this tide around eventually. So that eventually this Sunday law will go away. And I can go back to worshiping God the way that I want to. And they're going to find out too late. Oops, I have the mark of the beast. And that is how Satan will try to deceive many Seventh-day Adventists. He's going to say, it's okay. They're making this Sunday law, and yeah, you know, Sabbath is the right day, but just go along. It's okay. Go along with it, and eventually things might turn around, and then it's all going to be okay in the end. And God loves you, and His grace covers you, and you're covered by His righteousness anyway. So even if you're worshiping on Sunday, and even if that's breaking the Ten Commandments, God will forgive you, and it doesn't matter. You know, if we think that way about other things in our lives right now, for example, if we say, well, I know the Bible says that I shouldn't steal, but the Lord, you know, he understands. I mean, I just can't, I'm barely making it, so I won't pay my tithe this month. You're robbing from God. And you're, when you develop that mentality, whether it's from not paying tithe, or perhaps it's eating things that the Scripture has stri- strictly condemned, Or maybe it's watching things that you know you never should watch. All of those things, if you rationalize them away and say, it's okay, it doesn't really matter what I do, God will cover me anyway. You're actually setting yourself up to receive the mark of the beast in your hand. Because you'll just go along with the crowd as the majority of the world wonder after the beast. And Satan will deceive many of us if we don't learn to trust in God completely now and say, I will obey God fully and completely even if I don't always understand because I love Him. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So as you see... Revelation describes this time where an image to the beast will be formed, a mark will be made. And verse 17, no man may buy or sell save that he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then the number of the beast is 666. And it's interesting, if you add up in the Latin the name of the Pope, which is Vicarius Filii Dei, which means Vicar of the Son of God, it actually adds up to 666. So the Bible identified this power. Now, as I wrap up, Revelation 17 makes some very interesting connections to see how all of this is going to play out at the very end of time. Because what you see is you're going to have papal Rome and the United States coming together. The United States will help Rome to heal from its deadly wound that it received in 1798. They will set up a Sunday law and nearly all the world will follow after this. Now notice what Revelation 17 says. We saw this... In Revelation 17, 3, that you have a woman sitting on a beast that has names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Verse 5, you see that this woman is named Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So get this. A woman in the Bible represents a church. You see the other woman in Revelation 12. And in Revelation 17, you have papal rome as babylon the great the mother of harlots but if she's the mother of harlots what does that tell you that tells you that she has daughter churches and it just so happens that the second angel's message says babylon the great is fallen is fallen and it says is fallen two times Because the first time describes the fall of papal Rome, and the second fall describes the fall of the Protestant churches who rejected the message of the Second Advent that the Millerites preached. And the Millerites began preaching the second angel's message in the summer of 1844 when they said all the churches they've rejected this message. And the Protestant churches, they would not allow the Millerites to come to their churches and to preach the second coming of Jesus. They would say, we don't want to hear about Jesus coming. Don't come to our churches. So the Millerites had to separate from the Protestant churches and go out and preach the messages in their own newly formed churches and tents and things like that. And so NLNY and makes it clear that the Protestant churches became part of fallen Babylon in 1844 and they are the harlots, part of the mother. Which is why we as God's remnant have a message to call His people out. And don't get me wrong, Scripture clearly identifies that God has His people in Babylon. Which is why He says, come out of her, my people. In fact, I've spoken with at least one person here who was part of a church in that system even a few years ago. God has his people in those churches. We are to call them out. Amen? Now, as you come to the end, going to. as I wrap up here, we're going to see exactly how this all plays out. Let's pick it up in Revelation 17, verse 8. Revelation 17, verse 8 says, The beast that thou sawest was... So John is looking at this beast and he had seen it, but now it's being described as being in the past. Remember it received a deadly wound? And then he says, but this beast is not, and it shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. This is describing Babylon. It received a deadly wound. After it received a deadly wound, it lost its power over the state, but there's coming a time that it will ascend again out of the bottomless pit, and the world will wonder after the beast. Now the last couple of verses here are very interesting. Verse 9 says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now this woman is Babylon, or the church of Babylon. And she's sitting on seven heads which are seven mountains. Now do you remember what a mountain represents in the Bible? In Daniel chapter 2, You have a stone that comes and strikes the image and it becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth which represents God's kingdom. So a mountain represents a kingdom and these seven heads or seven mountains are seven kingdoms on which the woman or Babylon sits. Here is a very interesting picture. Babylon is a woman And she is a church sitting on seven seven different political kingdoms which prop her up with political power. So the question is, what are these seven kings or kingdoms? Verse 10 says, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. Now here's where we come to an understanding of who these kingdoms are. Five are fallen, one is, and one has not yet come. So here's how we look at Revelation 17. Revelation 17 is describing the past, the present, and the future. And the way it describes the past is it describes the beast of Babylon that was, and then presently it is not, and in the future it shall ascend. Does that make make sense? And then with the seven kings, five are fallen, that's in the past, One is, that's presently, and then the last one, he has not yet come, and when he comes, he he continues a short space. So here's what you have. You have the beast that was, and you have five kings that are fallen. One king is right now, but the beast that was is not right now, and in the future, the beast shall ascend, and another kingdom will come. What I believe is that 1798 is the dividing line between the past and the present in Daniel, I mean, in Revelation 17. And the reason why is this 1798 is when Papal Rome received the deadly wound, right? That is when it became prophetically in the past. The beast was after it receives its deadly wound, it is not because it received the deadly wound. So you have five kings or kingdoms up until 1798. So who are those five kingdoms? Well, we've talked about them. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, and papal Rome. There's your first five. There's two more. The sixth kingdom is the kingdom that becomes the present kingdom in 1798. We already talked about that. Which kingdom is that? It's the second beast of Revelation, the United States of America. So when you look at Revelation 17, you see that we are now in the time of the sixth kingdom of the seven. And you may be asking, okay, so these are kingdoms that propped up Babylon. How is the United States propping up Babylon? Well, the United States is known prophetically as protestant america and the protestant churches have been part of babylon since 1844 so the united states through the fallen protestant churches are also propping up babylon even from 1790 or from 1844 onward so the question is what is the seventh king when it says in verse 10, the other is not yet come, and when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And then verse 11 it says, and the beast that was, that's Babylon, the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Now, just try to think very carefully here. There's seven kings. Papal Rome is described as the eighth. When he comes back. But he's of the seven. The reason why he's of the seven. Is because he was the fifth king. So he was of those seven. When he comes back. He will be the eighth. And how does that work? Verse 12 says. And the ten horns. Which thou sawest. Are ten kings. "...which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast." Notice this, the ten horns, you have seven heads, ten horns. The ten horns represent ten kings which have received no kingdom. Notice, that's one kingdom. I believe that is the seventh kingdom. And it says when they receive their kingdom, they will receive power as kings one hour, which means a short space with a beast, which is papal Rome. And they have one mind, and they will give their power and strength unto the beast. And in verse 14 it says, These shall make war with the Lamb. Now here's what I want to point out. These ten kings. Do you remember the image in Daniel 2? The head of gold chest of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. How many toes are there? Ten toes. And the ten toes are at the very end of the image. When the stone strikes the image. You have ten toes, and in Revelation 17, right at the very end of time, you have ten kings that describe one kingdom. And if you look at the number 10 in the Bible, 10 represents universal. So what you have here at the very end of time, there is going to come a time when the United States in Revelation 13 works to give power to papal Rome. When that happens, the kings of the earth, the whole world will come together as one So once the United States works in concert with papal Rome, they will pass off the scene as the sixth king and will join the rest of the world, all the kingdoms of this world, as the seventh head or the seventh kingdom which work with papal Rome. And this is simple math, but you have to have seven before you can have eight, right? So when you have the seven, then the eighth can come back. When the United States and the rest of the world come together to bring religious legislation um, upon civil power, they will have resurrected papal Rome. Papal Rome will have had its deadly wound. And specifically it says, these will have one mind and they will make war with the Lamb. But here is the good news in verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Here's the bottom line. When we study Revelation 13 and 17, and I realize that this may not be as inspirational as seeing our prophetic destiny as part of the Second Advent Movement, but it's very important because what it shows us is that nearly the whole world is going to follow after Satan, who gave his power, seat, and authority to papal Rome. And at the end of time, Satan will also speak through the United States when it speaks as a dragon, through the laws that it sets up, enforcing Sunday legislation. And not only will the United States be part of that, but the kings of the earth will be part of that as well. And all of them together will have one mind, and they will make war with the lamb because they will persecute god's saints again and when they persecute god's saints they are making war against christ in the person of his saints and jesus will say okay that's enough you've done this for too long you already did that for the 1260 years i'm not going to let you get away with it again this time This time, I'm coming back to take my children home with me. And not only that, I'm going to resurrect all the saints who were persecuted by Babylon during the 1260 years. And God in His mercy has given us a road map for how Satan will try to deceive the whole world. All we need to do is study Scripture and to see what's happening in the world around us, and realize that we do not need to be deceived if we study for ourselves. Furthermore, Revelation 18, and this is the last verse I'm going to show, and I've mentioned this a few times, Revelation 18 gives all of those in Babylon one final chance to come out. Now, if you're in the remnant church already, you don't want to delay Now is our time to follow Christ. But there will be many people in Babylon who won't know anything about the Sabbath and a following Christ completely until the Sunday laws come down. And then Christ will send this message to the world that lightens the earth with its glory. And the message is Babylon the great is fallen as fallen. And that will be the final message where the three angels' messengers are, are combined one final time with great power. And we call the world out of Babylon. And God says, Come out of her, my people. Those who do not come out will receive her plagues. But those who do come out of her will receive the seal of the living God and will live with Jesus for eternity. So this is our message. We have a message as we've seen that identifies that God has raised us up as a body of believers since 1844 to have our lives cleansed from sin, to give the three angels messages with power to a lost and dying world and to recognize the deception that Satan is bringing upon the whole world that will deceive nearly everyone except for those who are faithful to the Word of God. So may we be among those who are faithful to Scripture And when Jesus comes, we will be found faithful in the clouds of heaven. Tomorrow night we're going to have off, but Friday night you won't want to miss because Friday night we are going to see why Jesus has not come yet. We are going to see that the Laodicean condition has been delaying the coming of Christ, and when the message that will come to the church to wake us up really hits our church it will cause a shaking in adventism you will not want to miss that message we are going to go through the message to the laodicean church verse by verse and you will see the power that is in the message to the church of the laodiceans which is given by christ himself so i look forward to seeing you on friday night and then on sabbath we will wrap up with a message of the 144,000. so i'm just going to say a word of prayer to close father in heaven Thank you for being with us this evening. Go with us now and be with us and bring us back safely Friday evening as we continue to go through these prophetic messages. We thank you for warning us of the deceptions that will come upon the world at the end of time. And may we be ready and may we warn those around us to be avoid being deceived. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.